0: How's everybody doing? Good, good. It's been a, a pretty rowdy crowd so far this weekend, so which is good. So, um, okay, anyways, if you've never been to the church, uh, we're in the middle of a series, um, actually right in the middle of it. We're kind of alternating every single week, uh, Josh and I, which if you weren't here last week, Josh did a really, really good job. He's a great teacher. And... Um, yeah. He always uh, he always he always feels like super guilty after he teaches. He's like, man, was I too hard on people? And I'm like, dude, we all know you're kind of a jerk. It's cool, man. Like, uh, so no, no. Um, he did a phenomenal job last week. He's a he's a wonderful teacher. Uh, what we've been doing in the series, and and I got to give a lot of credit to Josh. He's usually the one that kind of comes up with these uh, series ideas that we do typically in the middle of the year. And and uh, what we try to do is we we pray and we kind of think about where our culture is and where our society is and what's going on in the world around us, and we take a break from teaching just whole books of the Bible, which we were in the book of Hebrews for a long time, and uh, we focus on uh, just kind of what's going on around the world around us. And uh, we don't we don't typically, we're not prepared for things that are going to happen. I remember last year when we taught uh, the series we did, uh, the whole gay marriage thing had just passed, and there was a lot of frustration in America and a lot of arguing in America and a lot of discord in America and, and, and things were kind of um, very chaotic and then of course all the things that are happening in the world right now. I mean good grief what just happened in Nice, France the other day with uh, I think it was 87 people getting mowed down and, and uh, what happened in Florida and, and just all the different things that are going on and there's a lot of political unrest and um, it's actually a very interesting lesson that I get to teach this week. Uh, we're going to teach about loving your neighbor and quite if, if we're just honest Um, Sometimes it's not easy to love your neighbor. Sometimes it's difficult. And we're in one of those seasons, I think, as a society, as a people right now, we're in kind of a season where it's a little difficult to love people. It's a little complicated right now. Um, We don't have a whole lot of good reasons to love people right now. But again, the countercultural teachings of Jesus that we're going to get into today, which this lesson really kind of is a difficult one to swallow because Jesus says even in the face of adversity— even in the face of uh, what we would call terrorism, even in the face of anger and hostility and disagreement, we are to love people. And so um, this is a tough pill to swallow today. And I typically don't do this, but I'm gonna jump around. I'm gonna go to three different books of the Bible, okay? I'm gonna start off in the Gospel of Mark at the beginning of the New Testament. I'm gonna go to 1 Corinthians 13, and then I'm gonna go to Romans 12. You should have a notes handout in front of you, so if you don't have a Bible, it's okay. It's on the app if you go to Version. All of it's there for you. Uh, If you do have a Bible, that'll be handy because you'll kind of know where to go ahead of time, okay? But last week, Josh talked about this, and he did a great job with it, that we are to serve others like Christ has served us. He gave the analogy, or or not the analogy, he uh, told us about the story that is uh, an analogy for us in our lives when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, probably the best example of how our Savior works in the entire Bible, that he got down on his knees, washed a bunch of dirty men's dirty feet and um, in that said, you need to go out and do this for those around you and serve the people around you. What we're going to talk about today is we're going to essentially ask the question, are we being a good representation of Jesus in our community? Are we loving our neighbor, right? The first lesson our parents told us, treat others like you want to be treated. We're going to talk about today, uh, talk about that today, and we're going to break that down and see if we are doing a good job with that. Now, let me set up this first story I'm going to tell before I uh, pray and we get into this. When Jesus was doing his ministry for three years on earth, for three years he was walking around, he was ministering to people. When he did that, there were essentially two groups and then kind of a subgroup that hated Jesus. There was the Pharisees, the extreme right-wingers, the Sadducees, the extreme left wingers, and then within those groups, there was a group called the scribes, who were essentially like the lawyers, right? They were the ones who were masters of the law. And these three groups of people adamantly went after Jesus and hated Jesus, ultimately, had him crucified. But what they did is they tried to trip him up with questions all the time Teacher, what do you think about this? Teacher, what do you think about that? And they would try to trip him up. They didn't really want to know the right answer. They just wanted to, to, to trap him in the hopes of killing him, okay? So we're going to start off here in a minute with the story of a scribe, one of the lawyers of the group, if you will, who genuinely wanted to know the truth, okay? And we'll get into that here in a second. Let me pray. Uh, you should have a notes handout. You should have everything in front of you you need. If you have a, a smartphone, the Uversion app. Uh, if we see you on Pokemon Go on the security cameras, uh, we're going to ask you to leave. <laughs> Not really, um, <laughs> I'm just wondering if you guys look at that, if there's one like hanging out up here somewhere, some hyper-spiritual Pokemon hanging out on stage. Um, but uh, has anyone driven around the square at like 10.30 at night? And it looks like New York City and you're like, what is going on here? And then you're like, oh, they're all on their phones. Uh, so anyways, it's crazy and creepy. Anyways, uh, okay, I'm gonna pray. I shouldn't have went into that. And um, you, can, you can take my word, I will never teach a lesson on Pokemon. Um, Yes, yeah. The rest of you aren't clapping because you're on that thing. So uh, I'm going to pray, we're going to jump into this, and um, we'll see where the Lord takes us, okay? Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for a great church. Thank you for great people, Lord. Thank you, God, uh, just for the wisdom that, that, that comes through your word, and thank you, God, for... Um, The fact that your word guides us and corrects us and reproves us. And Lord, help us, God, just uh, to absorb that today. Help us, God, to learn from what your word says today. And God, I pray, Lord, that you just speak truth to all of us. Lord, help us love those around us. God, give me wisdom as I teach. Father, we also pray for every single church in our city. God, there are churches in the city that that people in this room have been hurt by. And Lord, Regardless of our hurts and our scars, Lord, we want other churches to succeed, and we want other churches to grow, and we want to walk hand in hand with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, God, and we want to advance your gospel in our city, Lord. We love you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, first part that I'm going to be reading from is from the Gospel of Mark, okay? I'm going to read from chapter 12. I'm going to start at verse 28, and I'll read a little bit, and I'll do my best to explain it, okay? Here here we go. So one of the scribes, remember he's one of the lawyers, one of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second most important law is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to Jesus, You're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices." When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared to question him any longer. Okay, so like I just said, there was a scribe who was a part of of the bad guys, right? They did not like Jesus. There was a scribe who was a part of the bad guys. He was a master of the Jewish law, okay? He knew the law, or this group of people, knew the law better than anyone especially the Ten Commandments. So this man came from this group of scribes who did not like Jesus, but he as an individual wanted to know the truth. He was intrigued by Christ, and so he walked up to Jesus and he said, tell me, what's the most important law that we teach? What's the most important thing that humans should live by? And what Jesus did is he quoted a scripture back to him from the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible. Now, if you ask Jewish people, even today, if you ask any practicing Jew, what is the most important scripture in the Tanakh, that's the Old Testament, right? They don't recognize the New Testament, the Old Testament, what is the most important scripture? They would say Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four and five, arguably the most pivotal passage to the Jewish community. And the reason why that passage is so pivotal is not only does it tell us there is one God, just one God, there's no other gods, there is one God, not only does it tell us there's one God, it says that we are to devote everything to that one God. So that is kind of the core of the Jewish thinking, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. And so we're to love God with everything. That passage that Jesus recited said, love God with all your heart, Love God with all your soul, your mind, your spiritual strength, your mental ability to love him with how we use our physical bodies, that we are to use our bodies in a way that glorifies God, that everything we have is to be given to God. So what does that even mean though? The first thing it means is this. In the Christian's life nowadays, to love God means that when we understand what Jesus has done on the cross, Grace, the grace that God shows us, the natural response to understanding the cross and understanding what God has done for us, the natural response is love. When we understand that we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by our talents, we're not saved by our knowledge, we are saved when we have faith in God and by grace, God saves us, he redeems us. And when we understand that, we should just naturally love our Savior, right? It should be a natural response. And when we love our Savior, we should be obedient to our Savior. So true love is manifested in true obedience. And to love God, if one says you love God, to love God is to love the ways of God, to love the word of God, to love the instruction of God. So the real Christian sees the Bible, sees the word of God as a manifestation of God's love. So when we're corrected and when we're reproved and when God gets on to us sometimes, the real Christian doesn't get offended by that. We take that as God wants what's best for me, so I'm going to align myself with that. He loves me. He's my perfect father. And just like we as parents discipline our kids, God disciplines us and we respond well to that, okay? So the scribe got his answer. Hey, what's the most important law? Jesus tells him. And then Jesus tacks on something onto the end of it. The scribe didn't ask for the second most important one, but Jesus gave it to him. And what Jesus essentially did was this. Jesus took the entire Old Testament, right? The entire Old Testament, 30 plus books of the Bible. He took the entire Old Testament and he summed it up into two simple statements. If you want to wrap the Bible up in two simple statements, love God and love people. That's what Jesus said, love God and love people. And what Jesus did is he he spoke of and he used Leviticus 19.18. That's one of those books of the Bible that Christians don't read anymore, right? We think it's completely superfluous and doesn't mean anything so we don't touch it, right? It's just a bunch of crazy rules. So we don't read Leviticus 19.18. I say that facetiously. We should read the whole Bible. It's all there for a reason. And so Jesus quotes Leviticus 19.18 and this is what it says. You must not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. Do not take revenge or bear grudge against members of your community. But the golden rule, the first thing we're taught when we're children is this simple statement. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Why? Because God said so. That's what it says. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm God. I told you to do this do it. And so Jesus tacked on the second greatest command. So here's what's neat. The scribe totally got it, totally got it. And, and what he did was he heard what Jesus said, he took it and kind of repackaged it and sent it right back to Jesus. He's like, you're right, man. And he like said it back to him. We're to love God and love our neighbors. That's better than all the sacrifices and all the laws. That's right. That's it. And so Jesus heard that, and he's like, you're right on, man. He's like, you're close. You're close to the kingdom of God. You're, you're, you're this far from completely figuring it out. The next component was Jesus would have said, now follow me, do what I do. And so what this reminds us is this, within any group of people, any group of people, even racist hateful, dogmatic people, in every single circle of people, there are individuals who are willing to hear the truth and hear the gospel and respond to it. The trick is we've got to get into those groups. We've got to know people, meet people, dive into groups that we're not comfortable being around. And if we do that enough, there are people who will change. And so within any any circle, uh, uh, any community... There are people in this church, I wouldn't say their names because I don't want to embarrass them. There are people in this church that came out of white supremacist movements, right? No one likes white supremacists, no one likes racism. But if people reach out to them, because men and women have gone into those circles and tried to pull people out, some have responded, some have changed. We did a testimony video for for a couple that came out of that movement and we ended up not airing their testimony video because probably someone would have tried to kill this couple because they came out of a white supremacist gang. There are people in every single group that are susceptible to the gospel. So the two main foundations of the faith, understanding that we are to love God and love our neighbors, that's not the entirety of the gospel. It's not the whole of the gospel, but it is at its core. It's at its core. We must build a relationship with God. And we must build a relationship with our neighbors. And we must also strive to live the way God wants us to live. And if we build relationships with God and our neighbors, and if we live righteously, we can change the hearts and minds of people around us. But here's the thing. This is what the world thinks of Christianity right now. I'm not saying I agree with all these things, but this is the fact. This is the perception of Christianity in the United States right now. If you ever want to pick up a really good book, it's... Kind of depressing, but it's a good book. If you want to pick up UnChristian by David Kinnaman, I read it in two thousand and seven, when we first started this church. I taught or apologized for the first six things or first five things, I think it was what we did, uh, things that Christianity were known for. What happened is George Barna, David Kinnaman did years of research and they asked people all around the United States, "What do you think of Christianity, and why do you not go to church?" And none of the issues were with Jesus. The issue is with how Christians treated their neighbors. And this is the top six reasons of of why people don't go to church and what they think of Christianity. Now, again, I'm not saying all these are facts or all these things are true, but this is the perception. The first one is people think that we hate gays. That's what people think. They think that we hate gay people. They don't think that people uh, who are, are homosexuals can come into our church and get to know us and worship with us. And we have alienated the gay community. Now look, this church is extremely clear on what the Bible says about homosexuality. Six times in the Bible, three times in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament, it mentions this and it mentions that it is a sin. But how many of us did God save while we were still sinners and God showed tremendous grace to us but for some reason, we've made this sin like the ultimate sin, right? When in fact, the Bible talks a lot more about adultery and infidelity than it does about homosexuality. But we've kind of turned a blind eye to, uh, blind eye to that. I remember when Brokeback Mountain came out, right? And Christianity thought Jesus was gonna come back at any minute, right? <laughs> Brokeback Mountain came out and everyone's like, oh my, man, that movie is about gay people. No one cared that those two men were cheating on their wives. We were just concerned that it was two men. We were okay with one sin, but we were completely appalled by another. And so because we've made this the ultimate sin, people have looked at us and said, well, they hate the gay community. They hate people. Another reason why people don't go to church is they think we're judgmental. No, I don't think all Christians are judgmental. In fact, I believe in the church. I'm pro-church, but this is their perception of us. They think we're hypocritical. Now, if you were here when I taught the lesson on American consumerism, to say that we're a 70% Christian nation and how we spend our money and our time, we look hypocritical. Um, They think that we're too political. They think that all Christians are right-wing nuts that hate anyone that differs with them. They think that we all just want to win arguments. We don't care about people, we just wanna win arguments. And that's what they think of us. They think Christians are out of touch with everyday people that we can't have conversations unless we're sitting at Chick-fil-A listening to Chris Tomlin, right? We can't, we can't have conversations with people. There's nothing wrong with Chris Tomlin or Chick-fil-A. I'm just saying, right? They think that we're uh, insensitive. They think that we're not sensitive to people's needs, that we're not empathetic, that we don't care about others. Now, again, guys, I'm not saying I agree with all this, but this is how they view us. So maybe the reason that we have not uh, created a better perception of ourselves. And guys, people are not always gonna love us. Woe when all men speak well of you, the Bible says. So not everyone is always gonna think well of us. But maybe the reason we don't have a better perception or people don't have a better perception of us is because maybe we don't really even know how to love people or what love is. In our culture, we throw around love like crazy. Corey, I met this girl last week. We're in love. And I'm like, no, you're not. Her breath will smell bad at times, and like, you know, you're gonna fart in front of her, and like, yeah, things are gonna fall apart, you know, like, (laughs) that's the best I could think of, right? So, we throw around love very, very carelessly, and I think it's because we don't really truly understand what love is. So, to find out what love is, and God is love, right? Everyone agrees with that. Yes, God is love. We preach that all the time. To understand, though, what that means, we have to go into the scripture. And we have to see what love is. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read a little bit here. I actually know this from memory because I do it like all the time in weddings, but just so I don't make you feel inferior, I'm gonna read it out of my Bible. (laughs) I don't know it by memory. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful and is not conceited. Love does not act improperly. It is not selfish, it is not provoked, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes for all things, and endures all things. Then skip to verse 13. These three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now this is a great definition of love. Now let's break this down a little bit. The first thing it says is, is love is patient, which means if we have love in us, God is love, right? And if we have the spirit of God in us, we must be slow to repay offenses. God is very, very patient with us and he does not immediately punish us every time we offend him. And so we also need to be gracious like him. We need to slow down the judgment process and open up ways for people to be repentant, open up ways for people to be restored and reconciled. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we're to be indifferent towards offenses. In fact, the Bible says we are to not ignore offenses, that if we are offended, we are to go directly to the person who offends us and we are to work it out. If that doesn't work, we get another person, and we go and we try to work it out. If that doesn't work, we get a third. If that doesn't work, we get the church involved. Now, what we tend to do, someone offends me, and I go and tell everyone else about it, which is gossip, and I amass an army, and then we go attack the offender. That is not the method that Jesus told us to use. That's not what he told us to do. We're not to be indifferent. We're to graciously address offense and to be patient with people who've offended us. Love is also kind. We're to be soft. We're to be gentle. And even when we rebuke someone, we do it in such a careful, soft manner. My old pastor would always say, learn to hit people with bananas. That even if we have to rebuke, we do it in a soft manner to where there can be a positive outcome. Love also does not envy. Listen, you're free to admire things. You're free to admire my 2002 uh, Ford Escape. You can admire these things. You can, <laughs> you can want those things. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> if you do, you're, you're in a sad spot. Um, but there's nothing wrong with, with, with wanting what other people may have, but we cannot be jealous of that. And we cannot be resentful that people have more than us. To envy other people is to not display the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 3 through 8, if you want to go back and read that. Love is also humble. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not conceited. It's okay to be confident. And it's okay to boast on God. And it's okay to brag on other people. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to walk in humility because if we're not humble, we're not walking the way of Christ. If we have pride... We're being arrogant. We have an unhealthy view of self-importance. And what happens is in the life of a lot of Christians is we're prideful and that manifests itself and we're not very diplomatic. We don't know how to find a middle ground. We don't know how to found, find common ground with people. We're very hard-lined and we wanna be offended by things and we wanna be very selfish and we're not very diplomatic. We can be very conceited if we're not careful. Love also does not act improperly. What this means is this, is that we are not to be rude. We are to have proper etiquette. As Christians, we're to be careful with our tone, with our words, with our manners. We're to respect other cultures. If you ever go to someone's house who's Asian and they take their shoes on, oh, in America, we wear our shoes in the house. Well, they're not American. I mean, so like respect their culture. You don't have to condone everything everyone does, but we need to be respectful of that. And we need to make sure as Christians that we don't get offended for offense's sake. We're just a lot of people that just love to be offended. They just have to be offended. You need to read a book called Bait of Satan. The biggest problem with the North American church right now is our our skin is way too thin. We just get offended by everything, and we jump ship, and we go somewhere else, and we get offended there, and we jump ship, and we go somewhere else. Love is not selfish, and it's not self-serving. Look, this doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself. I know you need to take care of yourself, but real love is always looking out for others. It's looking out for your wife's best interest before yours, your kids, your neighbors. It's looking out for other people before yourself. And love is not easily angered. Do we need to be slow to anger? James 1.19. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt. We need to display mild tempers and mercy over judgment. I don't know if anyone else does this besides me. I'll go into a meeting and I've already formulated the whole meeting in my mind. Does anyone else do that? And you're like, worst case scenario, right? They're going to be a jerk, and then I'm going to be a jerk, and then they're going to say this, and I'm going to put them in their place. And then you go into this meeting, and it's nothing like that, right? They're like super cool, and you're like, i got to repent to you because I formulated this whole thing in my mind. I did that the other day with some great men of God in our church. I went into this meeting, and I thought it was going to be a knockdown, down drag-out argument, and it was really good, you know? And we left, and I'm like crying and hugging everyone, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm a jerk and so I need to work on that (laughs) love also keeps no record of wrongs now listen this doesn't mean that you need to be abused if you're a woman in here and your husband beats you or, or 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 treats you poorly like that you don't need to take that that's not what that's talking about but if someone has done something to offend you and they genuinely ask for forgiveness and if they're taking steps to change we cannot keep bringing up the past we have to show grace and we need to let it go now, listen, if people are not repentant, which means they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and they're not sorry for it, the Bible actually tells us we should keep a record of those wrongs, not to hold it over their head, but to show them, look, you've done this 20 times. You've got to change. If you don't, if you don't change, you're going to lose me, or you're going to lose a relationship with your kids, or you're going to ruin these things. And so we present that to them to help them, not to make them feel bad, but to help them repent, to help them reconcile. Now, here's where we get tripped up. Everyone ready for this one? This is where we mess up love. Everything else I've taught everyone, believer or non-believer, can be like, amen to that. Like, that's right. That's what love is. That's good. Now, this is where we get tripped up. The Bible says that love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. The biggest misconception of love is that love is relative to the situation. I can have sex with my girlfriend before we're married because we're in love. I can, uh, we will give a pass to certain whole groups of society because they're in love. Corey, how dare you say anything about the gay community? They're in love. These people are in love. And so we use this moral relativism and we give a pass because of love. Now, whenever someone throws out the word love in a cultural situation, we need to take a step backwards. And we need to go back to the Word of God and clarify that true biblical love aligns itself with an absolute morality. An absolute morality comes from one source, God. So here's the thing, and this is gonna sound harsh. If you say this is love, but whatever that action is does not align itself with this, it is not love. You may feel it, but your heart can be very deceptive, Jeremiah 17 9. It is not true love. True love finds no joy in unrighteous acts and rejoices in the truth. So, the Beatles were on to something, right? It's true. All we need is love. We do, that's what we need. God is love, we love love, love is great. All we need is love. The problem is, is not that love doesn't bear all, hope and endure all. The problem is, is we don't understand what love is. And so once we understand what real love is, then we can go out into our community and we can demonstrate love, okay? Let's go over to Romans chapter 12. Jumping all around the place. So in Romans chapter 12, we're gonna start reading at verse nine, okay? So God told us to love our neighbor. We have a good idea now of what love is. Now let's see how we demonstrate that, okay? Love must be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, show family affection to one another with brotherly love, outdo one another in showing honor, do not lack diligence and be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer, share with the saints in their needs and pursue hospitality, "'Bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible on your part, live at peace with everyone.'" "'Friends.'" Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil. I love this. But conquer evil with good. So love, if we're to demonstrate it, Love cannot be hypocritical. Now, when the Christians in Rome, that this, this, this particular letter of the Bible was written to, the Christians in Rome were suffering harsh persecution. They weren't even at the worst yet, but they were getting into harsh persecution. And in the middle of this persecution, Paul writes them and says, listen, don't just teach love your enemies, agape love. That's like a deep, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to suffer the wrath of God. I want to get involved in your life, this deep, passionate love for people. Don't just teach love for your enemies, live it. That's what he says. Now, this may be the most important thing I say in this entire lesson, and it's gonna be the hardest pill to swallow. You ready? Just like our love from God we cannot be separated from God's love regardless of how atrocious and awful we are. That doesn't mean that everyone's saved. doesn't mean that God just saves everyone. We have to have faith and we have to allow his grace to work in our, our lives. But God loves all of humanity. And no matter how bad I am, no matter how sinful I am, how, no matter how the atrocious acts I do, no matter how rebellious I can be, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. And if we are to love humanity like God loves us, listen, no matter how bad humanity gets, we cannot stop loving humanity. That's a tough one, isn't it? We're just being honest. So a man plows down 87 people in Nice, right? So a gunman walks in and mows down 50 people in a nightclub, right? So people are shooting police officers. So horrible things are happening all around us. And the one that has the love of God cannot stop loving humanity around them based on the atrocious acts that they do. That's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow, but that's what God tells us to do. We cannot be hypocritical in our love. We must detest evil, not detest people who do evil, but detest evil, cling to what is good. Again, true love aligns itself with the word of God. We must show affection. We must treat each other like family. We must outdo each other in showing honor. You ever heard a Christian say, man, I'll respect them when they respect me first? Really, did you earn God's respect? When they earn my respect, I'll love them. That's not how it goes for the Christian. We respect all people, not because they've earned respect, but because humans are made in the image of God. So we respect them and we love them and we care for them, not because they've earned it, but because God has made that individual. We're to be diligent. We're to be fervent. We're to serve the Lord. If we're honest, loving people is not easy sometimes. I was in Starbucks the other day, and sometimes I give like these brutally like honest answers. You know, the girl's just like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I just don't like people today. You know, like she just kind of gave me my coffee and like, you know, like found something else to do. But you know, I mean, it's true. Sometimes people suck. It's not easy to love people sometimes. But listen, we must keep pressing forward. We must be passionate. We must pray that God gives us strength to love people because it's His will. We must believe that people can change. We must be patient. Even when we are treated like junk, we must be patient. We must persistently pray. We must stay close to God because I'll tell you this to love people is not natural, it has to be supernatural. I don't naturally like everyone. but I have to pray for the Holy Spirit to work through me. God's love has to be funneling through me and moving through me for me to love people. It's not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. And so we need to also share with each other That means there should be knowing in our congregation, there's 2000 plus people that come to this church, no one should be without food. No one should be without proper necessities and clothing and things that they need to live. We should share in what we have to make sure that we have our basic needs met. We need to bless those that persecute us. I know that's a hard one, guys, but Paul was basically echoing Jesus from Matthew five to show true love. We are to love people that will emotionally and physically harm us. Now, am I telling you to like open up your doors at night? Am I telling you to like, you know, let your kids wander around the mall without supervision? No, I'm not telling you to be stupid. But what I'm saying is we pray for people, even the worst of people. We pray for those that would hurt us and persecute us and treat us bad. And we pray that God reveals himself and we engage in those people, sometimes at a risk. Love is also shown in empathy. That means that before we judge someone, before we make a judgment, why don't we learn their last name? Why don't we get to know them? People will come in my office all the time and they'll, they'll have this issue, whatever the issue is. You know, like uh, maybe they have a hard time. They, they sleep around a lot. A young woman will come in and she finds comfort in being with men all the time. And instead of me judging her, I go back and I say, hey, tell me about your childhood. Well, I was abused when I was seven years old. Okay. My parents were divorced and my, my, my father left when I was 10. Okay, and I start to have empathy and I start to understand why this young lady acts the way she acts. And instead of judging her, I can cry with her. I can laugh with her. I can walk with her. I can start to care about her more. We also show humility. Listen, our commission from God is not to win arguments. It is to win people. It's not to outsmart the atheist. It's not to out-politicize the other person. It's not to prove that Republicans are right and Democrats are wrong. It's not to fight about social standing. You know, listen, our job as Christians is not to correct and reproof and make everyone feel stupid. Our job is to take the light that God has put inside of us to place it in dark areas. Listen, and when the light illuminates the area, the folly and the shortcomings of the world will be made clear. It's not my job to correct you all the time. My job is just to bring the light near you. And when the light is near you, you will start to see the deficiencies in your own life. That's my job. That's your job. We're to walk in humility. We're to surround ourselves with humble people because God shows mercy to the humble. Listen to this. Even if you know every single word of the Bible verbatim and you make the atheist feel like an idiot for not believing in God, God pushes away from prideful people. He pushes away from proud people. God doesn't want to be around him. That's what it says in James 4, 6. Pushes away from prideful people. So we are also to not repay evil with evil. When we do revenge, when we take revenge, we as a creation are taking a place above other creation. And that's not the position we're meant to be in. We're not judges. We're not to take revenge. It sheds a negative light on the gospel and it makes Jesus look bad. And so we shouldn't do it. And if possible, we're to live at peace with everyone. That's not always possible. That's why the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 3.8, sometimes there's a time for war. When 400,000 Kurdish people are being slaughtered in Iraq, it's a time for us to get involved. When millions of Jews are being killed, it is time for us to get involved. There are times when when we need to step in and when there needs to be conflict at times. But whenever we have the opportunity to be peaceful, we need to be a peaceful people. We need to, I, I use this word carefully, coexist with those around us. We need to be a peaceful people and pursue it as much as we can. So what do we do if they continue to hate us, right? Corey, I'm doing all these things, and they still hate my guts. So this is what Paul says. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some water. And if you're doing that, you'll be heaping hot coals of fire on their head. I love how many Christians take this scripture and use it as another avenue of revenge. I'm just going to be extra nice to that lady at work, and she's going to hate me more. (laughs) We do it, right? Well, that's what the Bible says. It's like throwing hot coals on her. (laughs) And that's not what the scripture is talking about at all. What that scripture is referring to is is when your enemy is treating you this way and you continue to show them love, it puts a heat and a pressure on them to reevaluate their life. And maybe they will come to a place of repentance. Maybe they can come to a place of true change. We need to quit fighting the fight for God and we need to let God fight the fight for us. We need to let him be first and take charge. So, okay, God said, love your neighbor. So now we kind of know what love is, right? And we also kind of know some ways to demonstrate love. Now, when he says neighbor, who in the heck does he mean by that? I love this picture because we all have the neighbor that doesn't cut their grass, right? (laughs) And some people have a big fear of snakes. And I'm like, snakes are going to come into my yard because they don't cut their grass, right? Even though I live in a suburb, it's going to happen, right? So we all have that neighbor. So when we talk about when God says, love your neighbor, who in the heck is he talking about? Now, Jesus, I'm telling you guys, sometimes the words of Jesus really throws a monkey wrench into our life. And here's one of those times. Jesus, his, his words, he says this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Let me stop there for a second. And I'm not trying to be a jerk. How many times in the last week has Fox News and CNN told you to hate your enemy? How many times has NPR or 99.7 told you to hate your enemy? hate the Muslims, hate the Republicans, hate the Democrats, hate this person, hate that person, hate, hate, hate. Jesus says, hold on. I know you've all heard, love people like you, but hate people different. Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because that's how we become sons of the father in heaven. That's what he says. And he says, God causes the sun to rise on the good and the bad, and he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He goes on to say this, for if you only love people who are like you, what reward is there in that? Don't even the tax collectors do that? Get this, don't even Democrats love Democrats? Don't even Republicans love Republicans? Don't even black people love black people? Don't even white people love white people, right? Don't we all feel comfortable around the people like us? And if you only greet your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Even don't the non-believers do that? People that don't have Jesus in their life, even they have cliques that they hang out with. So what Jesus was essentially saying, who is your neighbor? Jesus would say, everybody. Every human you come in contact with, every barista at Starbucks and person on the treadmill next to you and the person's rude to you when you're getting food or whatever the case may be, the person that lives next door and doesn't cut their grass or the people that are are, are spiteful and mean to you, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the atheists, the agnostics, the Unitarians, they're all our neighbors. Do we have to agree on everything? No, but we are mandated to love them, mandated. This is what Jesus said. Look, this is my command. It's not a good suggestion. It's not something you should consider. Jesus says, do this. Love one another like I've loved you. But Corey, they're murderers. If you've ever hated anyone in your heart, you've committed murder. That's what Jesus said. I'm a murderer. But Corey, they're an adulterer. If you've ever looked at another woman with lust, you've committed adultery. I'm an adulterer. And just like God has loved me and my murderous thoughts and adulterous heart, guys, I know it's not comfortable, but Jesus says you're to go out and do that to the world around you. Doesn't it suck when Jesus' theology gets in the way of mine? Doesn't it suck when Jesus' theology contradicts the Democratic Party or the Republican Party? I'm not trying to be a jerk, guys, but some of us need to go back to the source of true righteousness and we need to find our direction from this book, not the media, not the news, not from culture. We need to go back to this. And so we have a lot of Christians that are saying, I'm a friend of God. And Jesus said, you're only my friend if you go out and love other people. Jesus says, you're only my friend if you do what I command you. And I command you, go out and love others like I've loved you. That's what he said to do. So the command of God, right? It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. But I ask you, do we know our neighbors? Not just the person next door to you. Do you know the barista at Starbucks that you see all the time? Do you know the person on the treadmill next to you at the gym? Do you know the the young lady that checks you out at Kroger when you go in? Do you know the people at the at the restaurant you like to frequent? Do you know the people in your neighborhood? Have you gone out of your way to talk to the Muslim? Have you gone out of your way to talk to the Buddhist? Have you gone out of your way to engage in conversation with the atheist or the agnostic? Do we know our neighbors? Do we even care to know our neighbors? Are we empathetic to where they are? Are we empathetic to how they got there? Instead of me just, just, just making a quick judgment in my head, have you ever talked to someone? You ever gotten to know them? You ever asked them questions? You ever, you, ever, you ever dug into their life? How did you get here? There's a girl that works at Starbucks, and, and I, I go out of my way to talk to, I go into the same Starbucks all the time. And, and so I was in there one time, and, and a couple of them come to the church here, but there's a young lady that doesn't. And, and um, I remember we're sitting there, and, and uh, this was just last week. And uh, I asked her, I said, hey, how you doing? And she gave me one of those honest responses. She's like, not, not very good right now. And I was like, well, hey, you know, I'm in here quite a bit. I'm sitting right over here like, why don't you come over and talk to me sometime when, you know, when you're free? She starts taking off the apron. and She's like, well, I'm actually off right now. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we, we, go over there, we go over there and we talk for 45 minutes. Man, she just, she just lays it on me. Haven't spoke to my parents in a while. You know, things are going wrong with my brother. And she just kind of lays it all out there. And so I kind of had like this, we had this moment, right? And I had a lot of empathy for her. She's not a believer. She tells me, like, "Corey, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christian. You're not going to get me to church. I'm not a Christian." I'm like, "Okay, you know, like, you know, okay." In my head, I'm like, "Yes, I will." Anyways, um, <laughs> but uh, so no, no, but <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but just to know where she's coming. Let me move on. Um, <laughs> do we strive to meet our na- our, our neighbors' needs? Uh, the funny thing about the picture with the, the high grass, right? My next door neighbor has kidney failure, can't mow his own grass. And me and my other neighbor, uh, Don, we, we, Don works on my neighbor's tractor. I use the tractor to mow his own yard. You know, so like, that's what we do, right? And not because we ever get thanks. I don't think I've ever got a thank you. In fact, I think Don always gets like <laughs> chewed out for not repairing his lawnmower right. Or, you know, but we never get, we never get treated well, but that's not the point. We have a neighbor that's in need. And we're to step up and we're to help. I'm there for my neighbor's spiritual needs the best I can. There's another neighbor I had that just had a, uh, a stroke, retired sergeant major. And I remember just going up and being like, hey man, my wife and I are praying for you. And he was like, that's cool, thank you. You know what I mean? Like, are we there for our neighbors? Are we spiritually there? Are we emotionally there? Are we physically there for those around us? Um, have we enabled a lot of bad behavior? Listen, I wrote an article a couple of years ago uh, about panhandling here in town. And this church has done more for the homeless in this city than any church, any three churches put together. We do a lot. And I wrote in this article and I said, we should not just be throwing money at these people. They struggle with addiction. They struggle with prostitution. We don't need to do it. We need to get into their lives. We need to help them build resumes and find them jobs. And we need to really, really connect with them to just throw the money. is not always good for them. We're enabling bad behavior and we're not helping people like that. And I got a lot of hate mail for that. But we, so, true love does not enable bad behavior. We don't turn a blind eye to the things in our community. Do we pray for wisdom to share the, the gospel with people? Listen, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't, have the answers, you don't have to have the answers for everything in life. But just like the disciples when they went to Jesus and they said, God, what are we going to do when we go out and engage these people? And Jesus said, let the Holy Spirit speak through you. Pray for God to give you the words and he will give you the words. Read the word of God, pray, stay connected with Christ. And when those times come, you will speak things. You'll speak things and you'll be like, whoa, I just said that. That's pretty cool. You will say things to them. You will speak truth and you'll speak love. And quite honestly, most people don't want you to have the answer for everything. They just want you to listen and love them. That's what they want. And we need to be empathetic, we need to pray for wisdom. Do we serve our community? Listen, if we're gonna to try to correct people all the time, we better have served them and we better have, have gotten engaged in their lives enough to earn their trust. If I'm going to talk about the homeless population, if we're going to talk about the gay community, if we're going to talk about Muslims or whatever, I better be elbow deep in some of those people's lives. I better be connected on some level in order to speak the truth to them. I have to earn that right. And I earn that right by serving them, by doing things for them, by being a good neighbor. Are we gracious? Are we loving? Are we forgiving? Or do we hold on to grudges? We need to let things go. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Be gracious, be loving, be forgiving. Do we love the unlovable? Listen, I'm very much against abortion. We support the Pregnancy Support Center. I think abortion's a terrible thing. There's a lot of young ladies in our church that have had abortions. So sometimes we need to be careful about how we talk about that subject. I'm against it, but sometimes we think, when when we start calling people names, And when we start speaking things, it's a lot different when you engage a scared 16-year-old girl. Do we love the ones that society doesn't wanna love? Do we love the gay community? Listen, do we love the racist community? That's a tough one, isn't it? We have several people that come to this church that God saved them out of white supremacist gangs. We have people that have racist tattoos all over their bodies that you can't see but God has redeemed them and he's saved them. Do we love people like that? Listen, I'll brag on this church a little bit. I found out a couple of years ago that, and, and I feel very strongly against this, that 940, the jail here in town, sometimes they will release prisoners at midnight. So they'll release people out into the darkness who are, who are, who are you know, they've served their time and they let them go and they're just like, good luck. I'm like, what the heck? So we found out there's a couple of guys who have sex offenses on their record. And um, they started coming to this church. And and what I did is when I found out there there was two that I knew of for sure that were coming to this church. And of course, we take safety measures and there are certain areas they can't go to. We're wise about that. I have two little girls that run around this church. But they came to this church and I knew they were coming. And so I called all of the nonprofits that we support in town. I said, hey, I got two guys they just came out of jail. They got no home. They got no clothes. They got no food. They got nothing. What can we do? And they're all like, yeah, we'll get them this. We'll set them up with this. We got this employment that they can look into. We'll do all this. And at the end of it, I said, and they're sex offenders. And every single nonprofit in town, none of them would help. Not one. So I went to our elders and I talked to my elders. And just to brag on my elders for a second, I said, hey, We have a couple of sex offenders and there's absolutely no one will touch them. I said, I would like to set aside $20,000 this next year so we can give them part-time jobs for six months. We can build up a resume. We can get them into a nice apartment. We can give them a, a, a second chance at life. We can give them another go at life. I know no one wants to touch them, but we want to get involved in this. And they said, sure, do it. So we set aside money. And before we could even allot that money to helping them, other members of this church found them jobs helped them get cars, helped them get on their feet. And now both of those men are contributing members of society. You'd never know they had done anything wrong. They're here every single week. One of them has a great relationship with a young lady. They're doing really, really great. They're involved in this church, but they needed a shot. They needed a chance. And we have to love the ones that no one will love. And now listen, I don't have to agree with the Muslims at the mosque down the street, but my God, they already have. Listen, they believe in the same Old Testament that we do. And so we've just got to introduce them to Christ. they are people that don't know Christ yet. Now, am I concerned about terrorism? Of course I am. But we have got to show them the love of God. We've got to go out of our way. Do we love the unlovable? In other words, are we being a resemblance? Are we closely resembling Christ in our city, in our community, on our earth? Are we living? I know we're not going to be exactly like Jesus, but are we being gracious? Are we being loving? Are we going to the ones that no one else will go to? Are we learning their names? Are we buying them a cup of coffee? Are we listening? Are we praying for them? Would you guys bow your heads with me, please? Listen, there's communion all the way around you, 360 degrees around you. The table's in the back. There's tables on the side. It's all around you. There's also gonna be people up here to my left and right who are willing to pray for you. Um, If you have any prayer requests, if you have any concerns, um, anything like that, there'll be people up here that, that they would love to pray for you. If you're in here and you're not a believer... I mean this uh, with all sincerity. I'm sorry if we have not been the people that you need us to be. We're doing better. We're working on it. We're striving to live as close to Christ as we can, and we fail a lot, but we're doing our best. And we're sorry, though, that we have not been what you need us to be. If you're in here and you are a believer, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to tell you a quick story. When I first became a believer in 2000, it was late late 2002, early 2003, I loved Jesus and I could not stand people. I could not stand Christians. I could not stand non-Christians. I didn't like people. Now, I knew what the Bible said, that I was to love people. That was a command of God. I knew that. And I also knew that whatever I pray for, as long as it's in the will of God, the Bible says if I pray for anything in the will of God, God will give it to me. Anything in the will of God, God will give it to me. So I got down in a little eight-by-eight prayer room at my old church, put my head in the corner, and I said, God, I want you to put a love for people in me. And I'm not perfect, but God put a love in me for people. I love people. If I do anything decent, if you've ever been with me outside of this church in social settings, I'm good with people. I can talk to people. I love people. Now, I'm not naturally like that, it's a supernatural thing. But I'm going to tell you this any of you who struggle with love, it is God's will that you love people. And if you ask God for anything in His will, He will give it to you. So if you ask for God to put a love in your heart for humanity, He will do it. And I will warn you if you pray for that, it is heavy. It is heavy. It is heavy. There's communion all around us. It represents the body and blood of Jesus, the ultimate act of love. And he did that while we were still sinners. If you've repented for your sins, if you've asked God to forgive you, you're welcome to take communion. If you need prayer up here in the front, there's men and women on both sides, they'll pray with you. If you have any questions about Christianity or faith, uh, Josh is over here to my right. You can come and ask him anything you want. He'll do his best to answer and point you in the right direction. If we're ever going to see a change in our city, we've got to start loving people. Are you going to get hurt? Yeah. Are you going to be emotionally messed up sometimes? Yes. But I'll tell you what, some of you are going to start having deeper relationships than you've ever had. You're going to feel your heart pound harder than it's ever pounded before. You're going to feel the Holy Spirit moving through you. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. I thank you, Father. I thank you for a loving church. We have a good church, God. I'm preaching to the choir today, Lord. It is a great church. I pray, God, that you continue to work through us. Lord, let your love just, just, just circulate through us and out of us, God. Lord, thank you for your son that died on the cross for us, God, the ultimate expression of love. And Lord, let us go out into our community and love like you've loved us. God, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. And just before I forget, Again, God, these these family, these these, uh, police officers that got killed today, we just pray right now that your Holy Spirit brings comfort, Lord, to the people in Baton Rouge. We pray, God, uh, that you bring comfort to all the families of the people who died in Nice. Pray, God, that you bring comfort to the families of all the the people that died in Orlando recently, all these atrocious, horrible acts, God. Lord, have mercy on us, and let us be gracious, God, and Lord, let us be a light in dark places. We love you, and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You're welcome to help yourself.